MLS just keeps on growing, and now we have a new frontrunner in the MLS expansion race. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsip, and with us, we have back on the show my man, Paul Tenorio. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm well, man. You know, I'm, I'm still dealing with the difference of spring between Orlando and Chicago. It's 45 degrees here. I'm used to, like, 85 the last few years in Orlando, so... I still got all my sweaters out, man. I'm just I'm going through like the four that I own. <laughs> yeah, it makes it Orlando. Orlando weather definitely can make you soft. As I, 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 I totally. Noticed, I noticed that when I was at the Red Bulls Orlando City, and I see Kevin Molino wearing gloves, and it's like 55 degrees. It's like almost <laughs> 60 degrees. I'm like, why are you wearing gloves, man? But uh, you know, it's uh, it's you get used to that nice, nice warm weather down there. Actually, I saw your 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 buddy, your former colleague. Uh, who replaced you there she, she's been powering through the cold weather up here because orlando's been up here in the northeast like three different times already so uh it's crazy i know she got all my new york trips man we had plans me and you to, to party it up in the oh. city and now now she she got all the new york time but it's all good uh hopefully i get to new york sometime soon i love that city and uh hopefully it gets warmer in chicago here soon uh, because I'm ready for a little bit more sun. Right. Uh, one person who I don't think loves New York at all right now is Adrian Heath, because it seems like every time they come up here, something crazy happens, whether it's Kyle Aaron getting taken down and no call or, you know, uh, giving up late goals. Uh, it's been a frustrating three trips down here. I'm starting. I, I think Adrian hates me by now because they played up here three times already and they got three bad results. And uh, so I'm always there in the front row and he's, he's just got that dejected look on his face. But. I'm sure, you know, they'll be back here, too. They're back here in July again. Yep. I think they, they've been, like, the unluckiest team in MLS to start the year. And the fans in Orlando feel like it's it's carryover from last year, too, because they did have a lot of things go against them last year. But three games in a row with bad calls from the ref influencing the game. Though I think two of those games, there were bad calls that countered the bad calls right. against Orlando City. So. Right. I don't know how agreed yeah, yeah, well, they are, well, but right. well, I see that's the thing. That's a, we, what's interesting is that there's this whole kind of thing about all oh, three weeks in a row, but every single one of those, it's a little kind of like yeah, but so what? Like the Philly game, right? So there could have been an offside call, but the guy hit a perfect free kick. Like I don't care if there was another no, if there was no one else on the field, he still doesn't stop that free kick from Tranquilo Barnetta, right? So I feel like I we're splitting we're splitting hairs there. Like you said with the New England game, bad, bad calls went both ways, so it even it's, it's evened itself out. And now this last game at Red Bull Arena, it turned out that Laren was actually offside before the red card. I mean, before the the foul by Carl Rumet. So it, it realistically, the I don't know how much you can even argue. You can definitely argue Kyle Aaron against the Chicago Fire at the end of that game. That looked like a, that looked like a penalty. Should have been a penalty. Yoan, your, your, your guy, Yoan Kapalov, got off there, uh, got a little lucky there earlier in the year. But I think they'll be all right. As Dax McCarty pointed out after the game, these calls balance themselves out. And you know what? Maybe Orlando will get Orlando City will get their calls later in the year. But uh, before we dig into into the MLS action any, any further, uh, we, we have 10 games to preview and also some midweek to talk about. We have to talk about expansion, as I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, uh, we have a new front runner or a new kind of hot, hot item in the expansion race, and that is Detroit. And I gotta say, I'm a little surprised. I'm very surprised because Detroit's probably like the la- one of the last cities I would have expected to jump in and get this kind of momentum. Uh, what do you think about this bid? And and there, do you, how realistic do you see this being? 
I think it's legit. I, I think it's legit. There, there are a number of reasons why. And I, and I, I'm a, put this out there. My mom from Detroit. All my mom's side of the family is from Detroit. So full I'm disclosure. a little biased. <laughs> full, disclosure. full disclosure. But I think it's a city that um, obviously has gone through some really tough times, and it's starting to be reinvigorated, right? Dan Gilbert went into the city, bought pretty much every building in the city, and started to rebuild it. And um, I, the biggest fact out of that is that a lot of young people are moving back into the city because it's affordable um, and and it's becoming more attractive with the money that is being put back into downtown Detroit. So I do think it's the type of market when it comes to the millennial population and the space to build a stadium downtown that would be a good fit. I think it's interesting in the sense that there are more quote-unquote attractive markets out there uh, as far as what people would think nationally. But I, I, I know MLS has always wanted to have a bigger presence in the Midwest, and I do think it would be a good natural rival for Chicago, which is kind of lacking right now. Obviously, Columbus is there as well, but that that could become a little triangle of rivals right there. And, you know, I I think it would work. And I I don't know. I saw it work in Orlando, and I thought a lot of it was just because of how young Orlando is and and is growing. And people don't think that about Orlando because it's Florida, but it is growing younger and younger every year. And I think that population in Detroit, um, the similar population of what the downtown area is starting to look like, would be uh would be make it a successful expansion bid. No, no, me personally, I haven't been to Detroit since the was it 2011 Gold Cup, so it's been a while. It's been five, I think was it five years or maybe it's when's the last time Detroit was there? Uh, I mean, when's the last time? Uh, yeah, it's, the Gold it's, Cup was there. Was that been a while? 2011, right? So Had been, to be 2011. Definitely right. wasn't the last one. Right. So since five years. So I mean, I five years ago, I remember being in Detroit and thinking, man, this is a ghost town. This is like not looking good. Uh, so based off that, when I started here in Detroit, I'm like, oh, really? Like, is is the, don't they have other things to worry about in Detroit than trying to build a stadium downtown? But I mean, if you're saying that there's this kind of infusion of millennials, I mean, I know about the Dan Gilbert investment. I know he's he's put his money in and he's and he's really trying to uh, build it up. If if in fact there is that kind of push, then I, then it makes more sense why MLS sees this as the as having growth potential i get that i just i don't know i feel like it's a gamble compared to what what other some other markets that are safer bets now having said that i still remember kansas city uh being a city where you know when i went to kansas city back in like 99 and 2000 covering the metro stars it was their downtown area it was a ghost town it was it was on the weekends it was there was no one around it was a dead city and then the millennials took over Kansas City, and Sporting KC benefited from that. And now you go to downtown Kansas City, and it's 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 amazing. It's crazy how much, how lively it is, and how much that city is is changed. So maybe from that standpoint, there is hope for Detroit, and maybe MLS could be a big part of that. So I get that, but it is a gamble. I think it's definitely a gamble, no question about it. And I know some people look at it and say, "Well, you're really just you know a couple of NBA billionaires get involved, and all of a sudden, Bob Garber's is all down with that." So uh, for me, I think there are other cities. Uh, obviously, Sacramento has to get in before that, uh, and then. But then from there, it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a crapshoot. St. Louis sounds like it's gained some momentum. Uh, San Antonio's in a conversation. Now you're hearing San Diego, which you know I'm not so sure about San Diego. Even Austin, I, I don't know. As much as I love to go to Austin because of the food, it's best food maybe in the in America. Uh, I don't know if Austin's realistic, but. Maybe maybe Detroit happens. Maybe we get Detroit and St. Louis. Now, my, my my last question on this topic to you is, 
how big can MLS get? Like, what what's what's the cap for you? What, like, it seems like this, there's no end in sight to expansion. What what number would you be okay with MLS stopping at? I've had this debate before, actually, with Adrian Heath, and I and we re, we reached the number separately and and said it at the same time, and it was thirty. I think thirty teams is where it should go and where it should stop. You know, three ten team divisions. Uh, figure out a way to schedule across like that, and and I think that's a solid number. I mean, it's right around where what you see the other pro leagues in the U.S. I think you're hitting enough of the markets in the country, the bigger markets in the country that matter. I think you're hitting the regions, every region of the country, and that's what you've got to have as a goal in this in a country this big. Um, you've got to be able to to matter in all of the different regions of the country in order to have relevance. Uh, across the country and i think 30 would be a good number i don't buy into this idea that too much expansion is a bad thing for mls that the the talent pool is getting too watered down i think that's a too short-sighted of a vision if you're talking about right now or even in the first couple years after teams come in yes the talent is going to be more watered down but you have to stop and think about this in the long term and say where is this league going to be in 20 25 years um financially with, with the salary cap, with the money being invested by the owners, with the way the U.S. is perceived in Europe and across the world, I think that 30 teams will be plenty enough, um, and I think it will. It, I don't think the talent will drop. In fact, I think the talent is going to continue to get better in this league. So um, that's that's my number. I, I think, and I think it, it works out well when it comes to 10 teams in each in each division. Right. I mean, 30, it definitely can't, for me, it cannot be more than 30. I mean, I think that's, no you have to cap it. I've always, I've always kind of had the idea in my mind that down the road at some point, we'll get to a point where, where you almost have to have promotion and relegation. And there's, there's more than 30 viable markets in this country. Right. Uh, and, but at the same time, it's going to always be tough to, to get people to buy into a second division when there's no expansion. Um, I mean, when there's no promotion, but, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms. We, we'll get into promotion relegation some other time. But uh, 30 is a good number. I agree. I agree. On, I agree on that. Although it's crazy when you think about trying to put a schedule. Like, you play that. out. I mean, I, it's you get. Are we going to get 40 game schedules? I mean, it, it seems almost inevitable. Right. But uh, it's just crazy to think where where the leagues come from. Ten. I mean, I covered it when it was 10 teams and it was like. You know, you didn't know what the future held, and now we're now we're talking about thirty. It's kind of crazy for me. I just want to see Sacramento get in. I want to see Miami work itself out. Uh, it's, it, it, that, and that's the next topic to get into here. Uh, my, my, there's still some some doubt about Miami. Not doubt, but who's going to be the investors to join Beckham? Uh, the latest now is that the the, the folks from Paris Saint Germain will not be a part of the ownership group in Miami, and Beckham is once again looking for partners. Uh, for that group, and 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 that's uh, it's un- you don't want to hear that, especially when it already seemed like Miami was a done deal. Um, but by all accounts, by everything you see, uh, it seems like MLS is completely on board with, with Miami, and they believe Miami is going to happen. Uh, do you do you still think Miami is going to happen? You still believe in it? Yes, I, I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen because MLS is not going to let it not happen. I think it may get pushed back, and I think it should get pushed back. You know, let's just move forward with a, a, a market that's ready, Sacramento. Allow Miami to keep figuring itself out. Um, but MLS is dead set on going to Miami, and I think that considering the expansion plans right now within this league, um, the fact that they want to go to 28 and, you know, when is it going to happen by, you know, 2020 or whatever, 
you know, move forward with the with the franchises that are here. They're ready to go. They've got the fan base. They've got the stadium plans. They have the political support. And and let Beckham and and Tim Lewicki keep doing what they're doing in Miami. And and when they're ready, bring them in. But I, I think it's a market that they're just not willing to give up on. I think it's a market that can work if they do it the right way, if they find the right stadium plan, if they if they have it accessible in public transportation. You know, I think that market works. I think it helps Orlando City. I think it helps Atlanta United. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense. I just think it doesn't make sense that they're holding on to this idea that it's going to be ready anytime in the next few years because from everything I've heard, even with the stadium plan being somewhat approved, there's a long way to go before it's even ready for construction. And then that's another, you know, 14 to 18 months. So I don't, I don't get why there's this, this insistence on pretending like it's going to happen in 2018 or, you know, even 2019, let's just, let's just move forward with Sacramento and come back to me when you've got the investors and you've got the stadium and you're breaking ground because until then, you know, I'm tired of hearing about it. No, I agree. 2017, Atlanta and Minnesota. 2018, LAFC and Sacramento. That's it. Let's just that just set it in stone. Uh, it, it's almost as if Garber refuses to put Sacramento ahead of Miami as if he's going to offend David Beckham or something. I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, it's not giving up on Miami to not make them part of the 24, especially when you've already said you're going to go to 28. I think you need to get Sacramento in here ASAP because... As you know, when it comes to the whole having political support thing, political support comes and goes. Politicians come and go. Right now you have the people in Sacramento loving you. Right now you have the support of the mayor. But that can change. That can change in in, in, a, in, in a couple of months or, or, you know, before you know it, it can change. So hopefully they figure that out because uh, Sacramento's ready. I, I really believe Sacramento Sacramento could start next year, in my opinion. But they're, they're, they're being forced to wait. And what else can they do? Uh, now we get on to the uh, MLS action week nine, a full slate, 10 matches this weekend. Before, before we get to the weekend's matches, we have to talk about Wednesday night. There were a couple Wednesday night matches. I was at one of them, NYCFC at Montreal uh, versus Montreal at Yankee stadium. And NYCFC finds new and inventive ways to blow leads, new and inventive ways to not win. Their winless streak is now seven. They settled for a one, one draw against Montreal. Didier Drogba, with the assist at the end, uh, Domodoro with the equalizing goal at the end, and and it's another gut punch for NYCFC. What'd you think last night? Did you watch the game? What'd you think? I, I did watch. I, I look. I just don't think NYCFC is a very good team. I mean, when you look at when you look at the the records and the standings and all of that, to me, what stands out most about the struggles in New York is how many games they've played at home already. And to, to not be able to get results in your home stadium is a major issue because, as you know, Ivis, winning on the road in this league is super difficult. The travel, the time changes, the different um, you know, altitude and heat and all the other things you have to deal with, uh, being on a plane and, and all of that stuff, it all wears on you, and, and you need to get results at home. And early this season, they haven't. And I, I don't, I'm not sold on their center backs. I'm not sold – on the fact that they ha- I don't think they've figured out what kind of midfield they want to run yet. And Patrick Vieira tried just about everything. Um, and, you know, outside of Matarita and, and David Villa, what, what are you really taking away from this team? What are you saying if you're another team in MLS? Like, who would you come pick up out of this team right now? 
I, you know, I, I guess mixed discrude in, in another midfield would be a player you'd look at, but I just think, I just think they have so many issues and I think they didn't help themselves by changing coaches at the end of last year either. Right. Well, what's interesting is that there, there have been multiple games now where you could make an argument for them having played better and having had the better of the play in these games, but they're not finishing chances and they're not making the most of those, those periods when they actually do play better. And it's kind of funny uh, in the post game, uh, Patrick, hearing Patrick Vieira talk, he is definitely there. I can't think of ever knowing or ever hearing a coach mired in a seven game winless streak be more ha- more content with how it's, how his team plays and this is a couple of games now in a row where where you know every time they they either lose or they draw or they blow a game he comes out talking about how well they played and how they were the better team and how you know he's he he likes the direction of the team and it's like that's all well and good but man you got to get some results like it, it, it's uh I, I, if anything it shows like he knows how much job security he has i mean as much as these struggles are one thing i don't i don't think he's on the hot seat I think he's pretty safe, and uh, uh, you know. So honestly, I think they're maybe a better team than some people give them credit for because some of these matches they play well enough to get a victory, well enough to get a result, but, but they're not closing these games out. I don't know, man. Like, I, look, I'm a huge advocate for possession soccer. It's what I was raised playing, and it was drilled into me that this is the way to play the game. I just think that we're seeing now more and more and more teams that have figured out this, you know, high pressing systems or sitting in deep and counterattacking and beating teams in transition. And it's definitely prevalent in MLS right now. I think Portland is incredibly good at it. Uh, We've seen Columbus at times uh, play that way when they need to. I think we've seen every team that's played Columbus try to play that way. And yes, New York City FC can can get on the ball. They can knock it a bit. Um, I think anytime they they are in the final third and Davi Villa is in space, they're dangerous. But I just feel like I don't know. I just I never having watched them several times this year. I just I never feel like they're a team like a team that's going to beat you. You know, like I like they they're knocking the ball. They're playing decent soccer. It's pretty to watch at times, but it just never feels like it's going anywhere. And I get why Vieira comes into post game press conference and says we were the better footballing team. But I don't think that matters if you can't put a team away, if you can't score goals, if you don't make another team feel like, you know, you're dangerous. And, 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 and to me, I just think that's lacking a lot. And there are a couple of teams that are like that around the league. They're not the only team like that. You know, there are a lot of teams right now that are looking for strikers and looking for attacking players that can, that can inject that um, bit of kind of danger into their team. Uh, but I just think NYC FC for me is one of them. And, I, I I agree with the people that, that kind of question Vieira and say, okay, why were you the better team? Because you knocked the ball a little bit more because you had more possession. Um, right. Well, that was the yeah. thing after the Philly game. Uh, my man Jerry Hawkins kind of went at Vieira about how content he was. Uh, and that's the thing. When you go down 2-0, uh, your opponent's going to let you have the ball. Your opponent's going to let right. you have possession. So it's so, you can never really look at a game like that where, you, where you're down 2-0 early and be happy with the fact that you had the ball and you had chances after that because the team was more than fine letting you do that. Now, as far as last night goes, I actually thought NYC was the better team in, in, in a straight-up match where it was tied and, and they had chances, and it wasn't just possession. I mean, they, they had Montreal on multiple occasions where they could have definitely scored, and Evan Bush came up with some saves, and there were some some shots that, that, that should have been finished that weren't finished, but... At the end of the day, they have to start getting results, and uh, you know you got to start showing a little passion. And, and what, it's funny because I remember 
Jason Christ. And it was the beginning. It, it almost became the beginning of the end when he finally showed some passion and he finally got up and he finally got he finally got angry with the fact that his team wasn't getting the results. And I'll never forget that when he kind of after one of the matches, he just kind of came out and said it. He's like, you know, you know, there's some people here who just don't don't seem to care. And that was a, that was the beginning of the end for him. And, may, and who knows, maybe Patrick Riviera, uh, maybe someone at NYC told him, hey, whatever you do, don't do that, because then the team's going to fold. But I'll tell you what, I, one of our uh, our guy, Franco Penizo, whatever at SBI, wrote a piece today talking about that uh, they might need to make a trade and trade away some of this midfield depth. I happen to agree with that. I mean, they have they have too many midfielders, guys who I think have some value who aren't playing now. Poku is not playing. I think there's interest in him. Mixed disc group's been on the bench two games now. So maybe they trade away some of that depth and, uh, you know, try to help out defensively. And they need to figure out the Frank Lampard situation. This mm-hmm. guy has missed eight games. He's making five, six million dollars. He's not played a minute yet this year. And that, and that, you can't, ca- as a team in the MLS, you can't carry a DP who does not play at all. So we'll see what yeah. happens with them going forward. Uh, last two, The other two games last night, New England Revolution, Portland Timbers, New England, courtesy of a Jermaine Taylor own goal, very late in the match, uh, managed to get a point uh, for another draw for them. They, I think they're going to challenge the Chicago Fire's record for, for draws in the season at this rate. Uh, and then, and lastly, Vancouver Sporting Kansas City, another 1-1 tie. Three 1-1 ties all Wednesday night. I don't know what that would have paid off if he had bet that. But, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, we're in a bunch of goal fests. What, what impressed you the most uh, from last night's action uh, from all the matches? Uh, you know, I, I wasn't impressed by that much. (laughs) Look, I think, look, I think, I think watching Portland, I really wanted to watch Portland closely, um, and new England to see kind of which team should feel a little bit more worried about their start to the season. I definitely think that, um, Portland's in good shape. I think Portland's going to be fine. Um, whatever little kinks they're working out right now, I don't think is going to be a big deal long-term. I like their pieces. I think that they're, they're going to be okay. New England, I'm a little bit more worried about. You know, I think Lee Wynn is still playing very well. He's producing chances. He's doing what he's supposed to do. They're another team that's having trouble finishing. They just don't look that dangerous in the attacking third. The first 35 minutes or so when Charlie Davies was in the game, he was getting no service. It got a little, it got much better in the final 30 minutes for New England. I think that they had more urgency in their game. They started to realize they needed to push a little bit more. Um, and, and they were able to get a goal finally at the end. And yes, it was an own goal. I thought it would, but it was a nice ball from Kellen Rowe to set it all up. Um, and, and so I don't know, I don't know what's going to have to happen in new England, what Jay Heaps is going to have to do to get something out of some of these players that you expect more out of, um, you know, the Agudelos of the world, Teal Bunbury, um, if Fagundes had a great start to the season, it's kind of tailed off a little bit. They have the pieces. It's just not, it, they're a little bit out of sync and, and I just don't know what's going to have to happen there. You know who they could use? They could use Jermaine Jones. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Could, I'm just saying they could use Jermaine Jones. And uh, the reason I say that is just because I feel like when they had him, they could actually control matches. And it's one thing to have the attacking weapons to be a threat in the final third, but it's also it also means something to have the kind of midfield that can kind of keep the ball and 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 kind of control a game and it, it it allows you to have a bit of a better flow and i feel like it's it's a little too frenetic now a little too uh, they don't they're not consistently controlling games 
And and I feel like that's why that's part of the reason their attack can't get in the flow. The forward situation, Charlie Davies, when I get that low, between the two of them, they should be able to offer consistent uh, goal production. But that hasn't been the case. It's an interesting one, man. This is uh, shaping up to be a tough season for Jay Heaps, and he's not a he's 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 wearing it on his face. You can see he's aging <laughs> before our eyes. It's kind of like uh, I don't know what's going on, man. He's uh, he's put ten years on in the first couple months of the season, but uh, hopefully things turn around for for him and the Revs. Uh, moving on, week nine this weekend, full slate of action, uh, and I have to ask you what what game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I think I'm. I'm really interested to watch two games. Let's let's say two games. My my biggest one probably is Sporting Kansas City, LA Galaxy, because I think LA has looked so good in the last two weeks. I want to see if they can continue that consistency, um, the deadliness going forward, the the chemistry that they're showing in the midfield. It's interesting that it's happened since Nigel De Jong went out in the suspension. Um, but I'm also keeping an eye on Sporting Kansas City. They had such a good start to the season. And it's kind of tapered off a little bit, and I, I'm not sure that I that I buy that they're that they're the beginning of the season style of team that they're going to be that good or that they're not they're going to be kind of what we've seen lately. I think that this is a big game for them just to have some kind of optimistic performance, regardless of the result. And uh, and so I'm intrigued. I'm just really intrigued by both of those teams. So I, I guess I'll, I'll stick to the one. I think that's the one game I really am interested to watch. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a good one. And, and L.A., no question, the last couple of games, they, they've, they've really torn it up. Uh, now, having said that, they, they went up against a, a Houston team that's been bleeding goals. Uh, the win against RSL was obviously more impressive because RSL was unbeaten coming into that game. But also RSL was without Jao Plata in that one. Uh, they shook up their lineup a bit in that one. It, it always felt like they, that was going to be the game they lost, that they, they were going to go in there and lose. But even with that, L.A. was impressive. Gio DeSantos and Steven Gerrard, uh, two guys who a month ago were looking pretty wa- – like, you know, they looked washed up early before the injuries even. CONCACAF Champions League, the early games of the season, they just did not look good. But obviously they both sat sat out. They missed some playing time. They came back from the injuries, and they've been unbelievable. But I think for me, this is going to be the toughest test for them to really show what they can do because they have to go on the road to Kansas City, not an easy place to play, and see if they can turn and turn on the style that they've shown these last couple of games. As far as Kansas City goes, uh, I don't know what's 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 off about their attack. Defensively, there's still I think uh, a handful, but in their attack, there's just something not clicking there. Uh, usually they create more chances than they have been, and Dom Dwyer usually gets a bit more service, but something's a bit off there. But this, this is a good test to see because I feel like L.A.'s defense is still vulnerable. You can definitely get some chances against that defense as constituted right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who I pick in that one. I think, you know what? I think Casey rebounds. It's MLS. You always have to go the opposite of what you think is going to happen. Even though, LA's <laughs> on, even though L.A.'s on a roll and Sporting Casey's slumping, Casey's at home. They rebound in this one. I think they get a win in that one. Uh, but for me, the game that I'm most most looking forward to probably is the game I will be attending on Friday night, New York Red Bulls FC Dallas. And the Red Bulls coming off the big win uh, last week, it, it kind of a, it, what potentially is a tie-turning win for them uh, against the, you know, I guess FC Dallas team that has had to deal with injuries, but it's still a very good team. How do you see that game playing out? Well, it's hard. Look, I think this is another game where, okay, can they put together two good performances? The biggest factor for me is, is Bradley Wright Phillips are the floodgates open it, because the opportunities have been there all season for the Red Bulls and they just haven't been able to buy a goal. 
And finally, BWP gets one against Orlando, gets another one, you know, later in the game. And that's what you want to see the forward to start to find a rhythm that that goal mouth suddenly opens up. It looks huge to him. Um, I, I think that this is a game where you need to see him find the back of the net again. My problem is I still don't believe in the Red Bulls back line. Their center backs. I think that they're going to need help um, down the stretch. I think that they still need to make a trade even with Gideon Ba coming back. Um, Parnell is going to be getting back into training a little bit more, I believe, soon. But who, who knows how long it's going to take him to integrate. Um, so with, against this FC Dallas front line and Mara Diaz and Fabian Castillo, I have big concerns about their ability to keep them off the scoreboard. So I don't know. I think it could be uh, potentially a 2-2, 3-2 type of game. But the question is going to be, you know, does Bradley Wright Phillips knock in a few more goals? If they do, I think the Red Bulls get a second win and, and start to gain some momentum. If he, if that was just kind of an aberration against Orlando City and he falls back into this kind of slump that he had early in the year, then then I think there are going to be some big problems in this game and it could end up being another, you know, 2 one to nothing loss to Dallas. So I, I don't, I don't know which way to go on this. I guess, I guess I'm going to pick, I'm going to say BWP is going to be a striker who, who has the floodgates open now. So I'm going to say two, two draw. Cause I think Dallas is going to, going to, you know, go punch for punch here. Well, I'll tell you what, as far as the Red Bulls attack goes, it's not so much about Bradley Wright Phillips as it is about the wingers. For me, Bradley Wright Phillips did have his chances when he was still in his slump, no question about it. But I feel like their attack is a whole completely different attack when Mike Rella and Lloyd Sam are playing well and locked in. And we saw against Orlando... Uh, we saw them play their best games of the year without a without a doubt. And Lloyd Sam, he came out. I, I was I was already throwing dirt on his grave. I was already, I was already saying, hey, this guy's washed up. Maybe he needs to retire. But I tell you what, he came out in that game and he went at Orlando. He went at Brexit. He went at them from the start. Had his best game of the year. And and it opens things up when the when the wide players are on their game and when they're really active and they're really attacking it just spreads it out it creates more space for Sasha Kleshton to operate it it, it it creates more chances for Bradley Wright Phillips and I think if, if Grella and Sam are going to play at that level and that's the level they played at last year that I mean they, they were a big part of the reason that the Red Bulls were the leading scoring team in the league last year if those two can play at that level consistently going forward now Bradley Wright Phillips will score his goals the Red Bulls will score their goals but I agree with you that defense is still too shaky Ronald Zubar I feel like is a mistake waiting to happen he didn't really have any big blunders in this game in the, against Orlando but it, I, he just he as a, I can't imagine being a Red Bulls fan you have to watch him and just be nervous and have your fingers crossed of when the red card's coming when the penalty fouls come you know like something's gonna happen with this guy so I'm still not sold on him that said, I think the Red Bulls will beat S. Dallas. Um, no Matt Hedges, no Mar. I don't. I still think more Diaz is out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go Red Bulls. They start to get a little momentum. They're at home. I'll go. For, I'll go Red Bulls in that one. Uh, the next game that we have to talk about: Seattle, Columbus, the Siggy Schmidt Memorial Derby. Not Memorial. He's alive, but obviously his former team. They're in Seattle. They've had their ups and downs, their struggles. Columbus is starting to pick up some steam. What do you see in this one? We could be getting ready for the Siggy Schmidt coaching memorial derby if, <laughs> if he doesn't if he doesn't win this game, right? I mean, there you know they Seattle needs a result. They need a win, and uh, I think Columbus is 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 finally 
in sync a little bit more. We've talked about Columbus earlier this year, they, they, and I've written about them. I mean, they are a team that was that you know everything was still being played out the way that they played last year, except for the last touch. It was like the shot wasn't quite there, the last pass wasn't there. Everything goes right, and then the last piece goes wrong. Whereas last year, everything went right. Um, they're starting to get that back again, and I, I, it's still a really tough road trip going into Seattle. And you're up against a Seattle team that really, really needs a result. Um, I, I think that I think that Seattle gets the result that they need. I think it's going to be obviously they played the last game without Dempsey. It was their worst performance of the season. I think it's enough to motivate them to to get a win. So I'm going to go ahead and say two uh, one win for Seattle and a big, big lift because right now they're a team that they they need something positive to happen. Um, because obviously they're sitting in ninth in the West right now. Right, right. And and obviously injuries have played their part for Seattle. What I thought was interesting about the last game for them and Colorado was, you know, no Clint Dempsey, no Nelson Valdez, and they really had to rely on Jordan Morris uh, to spark the attack, and he actually did well. I thought he, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a tough spot to put a rookie in to have him carry your attack, but he actually did it. He actually stepped up. I thought, I thought it was the kind of game that that's the kind of game that maybe – uh, click something in 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 his game that or maybe makes him realize like you know what I'm good enough I'm good enough to be at this level I'm good enough to 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 be an impact player because he was he was he was a handful in that game he got another goal and I think maybe now once you get Dempsey back once you get Valdez back maybe you'll have Morris playing at a different level now because in the earlier games there he would still put himself in position he still had chances he wouldn't necessarily finish there was still some confidence there. It seemed like maybe he was missing. And I feel like the Colorado game, that might be the game where he kind of, it, it awakens something in him and gives him an, an attitude that he's going to need if he's really going to be a factor for them going forward. As far as Columbus goes, uh, Gaston Sorrow, I believe, is out for this one. Uh, that, that you know that hurts them a little bit. Uh, their attack's going to be a handful, but the, the whole Chad Marshall, Kai Kamar battle is going to be fun to watch, no question. I agree with you. I'm going to go Seattle in this one. I think they're going to rebound. I don't know if Siggy Schmidt's on the hot seat already, but yeah, I agree with you. They do. They they don't want to fall any further back in the Western Conference, but uh, it's interesting. The West is wide open, man. Now that now that Colorado is a factor, and now that RSL's a factor. It's even more wide open than we thought it would be, and no it's, doubt. Uh, and got, and Wando scoring goals the way Wando scoring, he keeps San Jose right in the. I mean, they were they were in seventh last year. They were right around it. But if Wando keeps scoring at this rate, they're you know they're they're right in the mix too with RSL and, and Colorado. It's it's you know, you know the, three the, teams that were under the red line significantly under. You know, we we put them there and we thought we'll leave them alone. Right. Uh, Yeah. San Jose was closer. But, you know, we didn't think that they were ready to jump over anyone, I don't think. Right. And now you've got, you know, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver under the red line. When's the last time we saw the three Cascadia teams under the red line at one time at any point in the season? All right, we're going to do the new drinking game. Every time you say red line, we're going to take a drink. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, here's what I would say. Vancouver, I, I don't think they're going to make playoffs this year. Uh, they, they, got to, they got to – and I, I, thought that, I thought there were real concerns coming into the year. Um, as, far as, as far as San Jose, I, don't, I mean, we'll get, we'll, we'll get into them a little bit later. But San Jose, Wando's scoring goals, no question. But I, I still feel like they're, I, I don't know, they're not scoring enough as a team consistently the defense is going to be there they're going to be tough to break down Dom Kinnear is going to make them make them always be a tough team but I'm not completely sold on them just yet we'll get to them later up next we have to talk about Portland Toronto FC Portland's back home now 
they they had the gut punch own goal to to cost them a couple of points in New England, but now they're back home and they take on the new Road Warriors. Portland Portland was last year's Road Warriors. This year's new Road Warriors, Toronto FC, playing the eighth game of their eight game road swing. They're coming off the big win against Montreal. Uh, this is a great one. I think, you know what, this might be the game of the week between Tor- Toronto's stingy defense and Portland's attack now that Darnton Nagby's back. Darnton Nagby is back from the broken leg that he was supposed to, everyone thought he had. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't have a broken leg. But he's back. He's playing. Uh, ha- ha- what do you see here? What do you see, what do you see in this matchup? I think this is going to be a great one. I think it's, it's got the chance to be a great game. I- I'll start off by saying this. I think, I think TFC is going to lose this game. But I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's a knock on them. I mean, you've been on the road now for eight. This is the eighth game in a row on the road. You're coming off an emotional win over Montreal. You're going across the country to Portland. And I, I just think it's going to be a little bit too much for them. But I, I really believe I am starting to buy into Toronto as a legitimate MLS cup contender, a team that can win the East and, and go deep in the playoffs. I think they're very well-rounded. I like, Obviously, you, you, you love what they do going forward through Giovinco. I think their back line is significantly better. I really think that the Will Johnson-Michael Bradley pairing in midfield has worked a lot better than a lot of people thought. Um, I don't think anyone really saw Brad, it, it coming down to Bradley being more of the holding presence until we saw it start to happen in preseason. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough for them to go and beat Portland. Like I said, I, I watching Portland um, last night. I thought that uh, they they look like they're going to be you know they're going to be fine. There's no no reason to be panicking at all about what they've done so far this season. Um, and Nagby being back in there, I think they're going to get the result. But keep an eye on TFC if you're if you're laying bets right now on MLS Cup because you know I I really like them. I think they've shown a lot of character in this road trip. I don't know if they're that much of a surprise. They have gained more points than probably most thought they would in this road trip, and you got to and definitely give Greg Vanny some credit for that. We knew their defense would be better, but it, I feel like it came together even faster than than people might have expected. My big question mark with TFC continues to be not enough consistent production from the rest of the attack, from the non-Italian part of the attack. <laughs> obviously, Javinko is going to give you what he gives you because he's 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 the man. But I just feel like there's too many games where he is, where he's a man on an island, where he's not getting enough from the other guys in the attack. So that if there's an Achilles Achilles heel there, it's that. Uh, having said that, I agree with you. I, th- I think it's been a it's been a great run for them. They already have enough points. They already have, I feel like they they already have enough. They already got more points from this eight game swing road swing than they probably even projected themselves to get, or or whatever they set as their goal. I have to think they've already exceeded it. Um, yeah, they were aiming for eight points, I think, was their goal in the right, road. Sprint. Right, yeah, so there you go. So now, as far as Portland goes, they're back home. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think they're, they're going to win. I think Portland's going to win, but I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, they're, Portland's still going to need, you know, Nagby. I think, is Valeri back? I think Valeri's back from suspension. Uh, they're going to need Nagby and Valeri to, to, to really work their magic to unlock that TFC defense. I think they'll do that. I think it'll be a great game, but it's going to be a close game. I'm going to go Portland in that one. Up next, we have Montreal, Colorado. The uh, the Montreal Impact coming off the midweek result, getting a point in New York, taking on the Rapids, who are coming off yet another win. Colorado has five wins this year already. Five wins. It's unbelievable. Um, and I know I got a lot of stick from people who, who, who questioned me saying that they're for real because they beat a shorthanded Seattle team. I, I said they're for real because they they they, they, they 
they've won five games and all against teams that were in the playoffs last year. This is a different Colorado team, folks. You have to start taking them seriously. Jermaine Jones has been excellent for them, and he's really been, as he would say in his own words, the missing piece of the puzzle. How do you see this? How do you see Colorado's trip to Canada playing out? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think Colorado's for real. Watching them play, you can see that they're for real. They're a different team, and both of us have been around enough players and around people long enough to to know that um, those those guys who have played with Jermaine Jones, they talk about the influence he has on the team just in, in his level of intensity in training as well as in games. I saw it firsthand um, the first time I saw the U.S. national team train. Uh, I think we were down in Boca or something like that, and he was just sprinting through every single drill, and you could see that you know that's just how he functions. Um, and I kind of got an idea at that point why Jurgen loves him so much. So I think Colorado is is definitely definitely legit. Montreal's been one of my favorite teams to watch this year. I've probably seen them uh, more than any any team as far as rewatching games and stuff like that. I I think that uh, I think that they get the win here. I think that um, they're definitely very very difficult to beat at home. I don't you know that was the first loss under Biello at home against TFC last week. So I don't see them losing two in a row at home. Um, so I'm going to go with Montreal here, but I, I agree with you, man. This is a team Colorado that you've got to pay attention to because they're for real. And I think Tim Howard makes them even more for real when he comes in because he's a goalkeeper that can win you some games. Right. Right. And the thing about Colorado is, uh, it's not a case of, Oh, they're this super dynamic team. That's going to blow you out of the water. But the biggest difference I feel from last year to this year is that they're just tougher to play against. They make it tough on you all over the field. Now, a lot tougher than it was. They're more organized now. They're 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 just defensively is where the, the huge improvement for them. And now you added Jermaine Jones in there, and, and he's just shaking things up. It's him with him and Gashi. Obviously, Gashi's been a let's not forget about him. The DP the DP pickup for them. Those two together are going to make a world of difference for them. As long as they sort out the penalty kick situation, I thought that was one of the more hilarious uh, uh, things to go down last week for those who missed it. Uh, after Jermaine Jones, Jermaine Jones scores the first his first goal, and then they draw a penalty later on. Jermaine Jones wanted to take the penalty. Gashi refused to let him. He like Gashi's like, no, I'm taking the penalty. There was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a scuffle, not scuffle, but there was a little bit of disagreement there. Uh, and then Gashi missed the penalty. And then in the post game, Jermaine Jones revealed that you know it was his it was his twin son's birthday. And he wanted to score a goal for each of his sons, which is kind of cool. I mean, I have two boys. I can totally appreciate that he wanted to get that goal and have a goal for each of his sons. I get that. I get that. And the best part of, of, of the whole post game and his explanation was was pointing out the fact that Gashi missed, and now Gashi's name has to go at the end of the line for penalties. I thought that was pretty hilarious. But yeah, no, Colorado's a different team. Uh, doesn't mean they're going to go win in Montreal, but I just think they're they're going to be in every game now. I just think they're be- more organized defensively. And they're going to be really tough to break down. And when Tim Howard gets there, it's going to make a, it's going to make a big difference. No offense to Zach McMath, but Zach McMath is not Tim Howard. So even even Howard now, with his game, his game is diminished. I mean, no one can argue that. Father Time is undefeated, which is a, even t- Tim Howard has even said that. So I, yeah, they're going to be fun to watch in the second half with Tim Howard back there. I'm still picking Montreal. I agree with you. Uh, the last of the games we're going to highlight. New England and Orlando. I feel like they just played. They did just play, but I feel like it was like two days ago. But they have in the rematch at Gillette Stadium. Uh, hopefully, it's a better referee than the last game. How do you see this one playing out? I think Orlando City gets a win in this one. Uh, I just feel like um, 
you know, Adrian Heath has a way of communicating certain emotions and feelings to his team. And he does it through the public. He does it through the media and he does it within the locker room. And I think this is a team that feels aggrieved right now. They feel like everything's against them. He's created this narrative, right? Even though we just talked through earlier in the show that maybe they, they haven't been as wronged as they're acting like it. It's no mistake that he is doing this. He wants to create this feeling of everyone is against us. The refs are against us. MLS is against us. And I think he's building that within this team. And I, I see them having kind of a breakout of that, um, of that emotion in this game and the, kind of the pieces all coming together. So, you know, that's my feeling just kind of being from the outside. And again, I watching new England, I just felt like, uh, you know, Wednesday was a good example. I never felt like they were so dangerous in that game until the very end when they were really, really pushing. Um, but I, I think that, uh, I think this is a, a winnable game for Orlando city. And, and I, I expect them to get the three points in this one. I see a goal fest. Don't ask me why. I think there's gonna be at least five goals in this one. I think new England wins actually. I think they do, man. I think New England's do, and even though they look flat against Portland, I think they're going to come out and win this one. Lee Wynn steps up, and I think they get a W that they desperately need. No offense to Orlando. I know Adrian Heath is going to hate the Northeast by when it's all said and done. <laughs> this, recent, this recent run of results. But, yeah, I'm going to go New England. 3-2. It should be a fun game to watch. Uh, there's four other games we haven't touched on. We'll, 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 we'll rattle them off real quick. We have Philly at San Jose, which you have C.J. Sepon going up against Chris Wondolowski. See who's, who can who can deliver the winner in that one. It's in Philly, so you got to like Philly in that one. Uh, the game you'll be at, Chicago DC United. Uh, that's uh, you were and you actually just were in DC. You just spent a few days in DC. We ha- we have to get your take on it uh, a little bit. A little give us a little give us a little appetizer for what to expect in the Chicago DC game. Yeah, I think it's a winnable game for Chicago. I think they should look at it that way. Obviously, they've had to to live with that loss, the the beautiful Piatti goal that that you know, gave him a tough home loss and in, in injury time the last time they were out. And I think with no Sarvas in the middle, no Spindola playing either, you know, I think that DC United's a weakened team. Um, I think those two players are very important to what DC United does. So I think it's a chance for Chicago to, to get three points at home. The question is going to be what it's been ever since David Akam went out with an injury. And that is who's going to score the goals. So somebody's going to have to step up, whether it's Bo, it's Igbo or whether it's Gilberto um, or somebody else, they're going to need to find some goals. But I think that um, they should win the midfield in this game. And and so I, for me, um, before they go into another bye week and then a long trip on the road, uh, th- this is a game that they're looking at as um, really kind of a sort of a must win. And uh, luckily for them, I think it breaks down that way for them. So I, I think this is a chance for Chicago to get a win. But uh, could be an interesting game if Acosta starts. I'm interested to see him play some extended minutes for DC United. I, I like what he does. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sold on DC. I know they got a couple. They've gotten a couple of big wins here now in the last couple of weeks, um, and beating they beat up New England. Uh, I know some people were surprised by the score of that one, um, but yeah, not having Spillane is going to be a big loss for them. Assuming Saborio starts, I want to see Saborio versus uh, Jonathan Campbell. Uh, the impressive rookie for the fire. I just wrote a piece uh, for Goal.com about Campbell. Now, this kid, I was a big fan of his game in college. He, I always had him rated highly on my big boards. He had a shaky combine, but he he's shown now as a pro that, I mean, he, he's legit. He's he's the real deal as a rookie rookie center back. He's, he's done a really good job. Now, you've obviously had a chance to see him up close 
what 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 have you thought of his game and how, how do you see him holding up against your your Tico your fellow Tico Saborio? Yeah, man. Um, I think he's he's like you said, very impressive. I think what stood out to me most about him is the the moment never seems too big for him. He he's played against some very good strikers earlier this season: Drogba, Kai Kamara, David Villa. Um, held Villa and Kamara scoreless, by the way, uh, twice for Villa, two matchups against David Villa. And, you know, what I like about him is a couple things. Obviously, he's got the size and the physicality that you look for in center back. But for all of that, when he gets on the ball, he's very confident. Um, he's not shaky on the ball at all. He will step forward and, and serve long balls in. He'll try to dribble forward if no one's there in the midfield just to spark an attack. That's really impressed me for a rookie center back. And, and he works very well in tandem with Johan Kapalov, who is more of a cerebral center back. He's smaller, but he he's very smart positionally. He reads the game very well. And I think that that partnership has really helped Campbell come along quicker at the pro level, but a lot to like about the way he's not backed down from some of these matchups and, and really tussled with some of the best forwards in the league. So uh, a really bright future for him. And, and I know the fire are very pleased with how quickly it's happened for him. And they just hope that he can, can sustain because as we know, the college season is so much shorter than the pro season. So they've got to make sure that they manage his minutes through this season so that he doesn't hit that wall. Um, but he's, he's been very, very good this year. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the rookie wall, I feel like, uh, I feel like attacking players hit it more than defenders for some reason, just going, we're just thinking back in through the years, uh, the, the standout rookie central defender types usually do, they, they don't usually hit the wall the same way that attackers do. I've always found that, 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 that pretty interesting, actually, the way that works out. Uh, last couple of matches to touch on Real. So, like, Houston, you know there's going to be goals in this one because Houston's playing, and it always seems to be goal fests. Uh, I don't think Jao Plata's back for this one, but RSL still has Burrito Martinez, and you're Mofsissian. This should be a good one. RSL should rebound in this one. Last one, NYCFC at Vancouver. NYCFC, five games at home, no wins at home. Will the... Will the fans at Yankee Stadium finally taste some victory? I think they will. I actually think they will. Vancouver, uh, with no Kendall Watson now. Kendall Watson's just got a red card last night. Uh, that's a big blow for them. So, actually, you know what? Maybe NYCFC will get their uh, much-needed victory. Uh, and that's that wraps up uh, Week 9, our, our Week 9 preview. We have to jump over and talk U.S. national team. And the hottest topic, the only thing anyone wants to talk about when it comes to national team at this point, is Christian Pulisic. 17-year-old wonder kid, uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to get tired of talking about this kid until Copa America comes around. Uh, so the big question is now, there's starting to be rumblings about not only is he going to be on the roster for Copa America, but could he be a starter at Copa America? Uh, my, uh, my, my guy at SBI Soccer, Ryan Tomich, wrote a piece today saying that he thinks he could be and should be a starter at Copa America. I personally think it's early. It's a little early for that. I think you had Pump the brakes, it's April, we got time, but I mean, he certainly looked good in the starts he's getting for Dortmund, so what do you think? How do you, how do you see the teenager doing this summer at Copa America? Yeah, I actually just wrote a piece as well for 442 on the same idea. I wrote essentially that he deserves significant minutes. Um, I don't think that it's uh, you need to necessarily put him in the starting lineup right away. I think that you have options on that right wing, whether it's going to be Graham Zussi, uh, whether it's going to be Giassi Zardes, whoever you might play out there, maybe Darlington Nagby is the guy that, that gets the starting nod. But I think he's a guy who you can integrate into the team, and it's not going to be too big of a moment for this guy. I mean, 
he's not like these other American, you know, soccer saviors that we've seen come and go that have signed with these big teams on youth contracts and then get overhyped and over-talked about and don't end up living up to the hype. This kid is already starting in the Bundesliga for one of the top teams, Dortmund, and he does not look like he is overwhelmed by that type of pressure and that type of moment. And I think he's going to be able to integrate into the side. And, and for me, what he does on the ball, his, his, I, he's always on the front foot. His first touch is always towards goal. He has those slashing runs in towards the box. And I think if you pair him on one wing with Fabian Johnson on the other wing and the type, similar player and the types of runs he likes to, to make into the box, you cause a lot of defensive issues and uh, I think you could potentially open up more space in the middle of the field as they look for that number 10. And maybe that's where Nagby fits into the mold. Maybe that's where Dempsey ends up playing, but it's going to open up more space in the middle of the field. If you, if you have to um, pay attention to those, those slashing runs. So I think he should play. Um, I think he will start some games, but I don't think it's something where you've got to just toss him in there and say, you're our starter, let him earn it. Let him beat out one of those guys for the job. Um, but certainly, certainly he should be playing a big role, I think, on this team because it's time to start thinking about 2018, and he, he's he's going to be a part of that team as well if he keeps progressing. Well, here's what I think, right? So he's talented, there's no question about it. He's he's mature, and he's he's hand, he's showing great poise in Germany. Uh, you can't argue with that. Uh, the thing for me is, though, the international level, it's just... You know, you have to. There's there's quite a bit of there's a learning curve there. There's a learning curve, and we've seen players in the past who were playing on the club level, right, uh, and doing well on the club level, even in in top league European levels, and then it doesn't necessarily translate to the international level. At least not maybe not right away. And now obviously with attackers, it's a little different. With attackers, if you're good, you're good, and 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 if you can go at people, you're going to have success. But for me, I just I'm not sold that it's gonna that he is going to hit the ground running. On the international level, right now, today, as a 17-year-old, it's great what he's doing at Dortmund, no doubt about it. And everyone sees that and is super excited about that. But there is something also to be said for playing in a system at Dortmund where you're always on the better team on the field. You're playing in a in a lineup that has studs all over, where everyone is an excellent player, top-level player, and you can just be that cog in that machine uh, the U.S. national team is not that machine. The U.S. national team is not that well-oiled machine that you're going to step in and every step into, and everyone is doing uh, doing a top-end job. So that's why I think throwing him on uh, into the starting lineup, I don't I don't see Klinsman doing that. I think Klinsman is going to take his time with him, pick his spots with him, and and this Copa America will be a tournament where he kind of slowly gets integrated. And I personally don't see him starting. I see him being a super sub. Uh, and slowly working his way in. Maybe by the end of the tournament, if he's done well enough with his opportunities, if there is an end of the tournament, assuming the U.S. gets out of the group stage, um, I think that's what is that's going to be the 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 experience that he has in this tournament. I don't see him stepping into the eleven uh, right off the bat. I don't. I mean, I'd love to. I hope I'm wrong, but I I, I just I feel like I've seen it in the past. Uh, and again, it's attackers and defenders are not necessarily the same thing. But even more recently, when you look at a guy like John Brooks, who in the Bundesliga has killed it in the Bundesliga, but then he comes, to, he comes to the national team and it doesn't quite click. Or even Tim Chandler when he was struggling, but in Germany he's playing at a consistently good level. Again, those are defenders and, and, and Pulisic is an attacker, but I don't know. I just think at Dortmund it's a little easier when you're a talented player to step in and just kind of just be part of that machine. 
So we'll yeah. see. We'll see how he does. He uh, he's got a bright future. I don't think anyone's asking the question of if he's, if he's going to make the team. I think at this point he you know everyone's ex- everyone knows he will be on the Copa America roster. The question is how many minutes will he get? I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he's in. I hope he's in, he plays well enough to start every game. And and listen. And one thing people need to realize, and I feel like people have already forgotten about, he is not a winger really. He's playing in the on the wing because that's kind of where where he fits into what they they're doing now at Dortmund. But he's actually a central midfielder, and that's where his future, I think, is going to be with the national team. And that's that that's that's the the real for me. I think that that should be the really exciting part of things. Is that maybe he can be that guy in a couple of years who can pull the strings on the attack, and that's that's his game. Anyone who watched him come up in the youth national team ranks knows that that's really his sweet spot. And that's what he will, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, will grow into. Uh, I think it's been great that he's been been allowed to kind of play out wide and find some playing time there. He's definitely making the most of that, but his future's in the middle. And that's and that's great to think about because when you talk about him, you talk about a guy like Emerson Heinemann, uh, Gideon Zellalem coming along as well. The future's bright for, for the American, the U.S. national team midfield uh, a couple of years down the road. Uh, so now one other piece is talking about pieces we've written this week. I wrote a piece laying out some of the players that I think Jurgen Klinsmann might want to look at for these upcoming camps ahead of Copa America, guys who maybe haven't been on the radar, guys who haven't been playing uh, lately or haven't been in, in camps recently. Is there, is there anyone that stands out in your mind that you feel like, you know what, I feel like this guy absolutely should be invited to a camp who hasn't been to a camp in, in, in recent memory? Is there anyone that like, stands out in your mind that you want to see Klinsman call in? Well, it depends on your definition of recent memory, but I, I think one for me is Breck Shea. Um, I, I know Breck Shea has been a little bit more up and down at the start of this year than he was at the start of last year, but I thought he played really well for Orlando City when I was watching him day in, day out um, at left back. I think his his athleticism and actually his, his defensive understanding of picking and choosing times to go forward has been a lot better than people give him credit for. Um, he's had a couple of shakier performances this season, but I still think at that position, he's one of the better options, um, you know, along with Edgar Castillo. So that's somebody I think I would like to see called in. Um, uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I think it'd be interesting to bring in Matt Miazga as well. I, I a guy who's not going to play in the Copa. I don't think you put him in, in these games, but I think he's a guy who gets a lot out of training with the center backs in this camp playing against the attackers on the U S team. So I'd like to see him included in the roster. I just don't know if you have the luxury of, of putting, bringing him on, but those are two guys that are, that are, that are kind of been on my mind as, as people I'd like to see included. Yeah. The thing with me, is the center, when it comes to tournaments like this and you have a 23 man roster, you, it, spending a spot on a defender is real is a real luxury you can't yeah i don't think you can get away with that and there and right now there's so many there are enough good center backs that you kind of you're you're already probably going to see at least one maybe two veteran center backs quality center backs who aren't going to make this team so i think from that standpoint miazga is a little bit of a i don't see him making the team personally uh but who knows it's cleansman he always surprises us uh, Breck Shea, along the lines of the Breck Shea pick, the, my pick, the one guy I'll, I'll mention, is Jorge Villafania. Talking about the left-back situation, Jorge Villafania, let's not forget now, he finished off last year in MLS playing out of his mind, shutting down the who's who of wingers in MLS on the way to winning an MLS Cup, including shutting down Ethan Finley, who was un- unbelievable last year. He shut him down. Then he goes to Mexico where he wasn't really even expected to start. And he's become a regular starter for Santos Laguna. It's continuing to play well. What does this guy have to do to get a call? He is, for my money, right now, in terms of left backs, 
He, in terms of just pure left backs, he is the best left back in the pool. Edgar Castillo, look, I give Edgar Castillo credit for stepping in uh, in March in the qualifiers and doing an adequate job. He is not better than Jorge Villafania. Jorge Villafania absolutely should be part of the Copa America roster. Absolutely should be get should get an invite to the camp that they have uh, three weeks from now. And I think it, once he gets into that camp. I think he'll impress Klinsman, and I think he'll be. I think he'll be a starter at Copa America if given the opportunity. The question is, will Klinsman give him that opportunity? So we'll see how that plays out. Moving on away from American soccer for a little bit, and we're going to talk a little international soccer to wrap things up. The Concacaf, uh, the Concacaf, sorry, the UEFA Champions League semifinals. Uh, a couple of great games, a couple of great matchups. Atletico Bayern, Atletico Madrid with the 1-0 victory, and Saul. With the wonder goal, everyone was riding the better called Saul uh, meme. Uh, what did you think? Did you, did, you, did you get a chance to watch that game? Did you see the goal? Do you think Atletico gets it done? Oh, amazing goal. I mean, the run was fantastic. I think one of my favorite parts of the run, I don't remember who it was, but someone was standing in the middle of the box like, play me the ball, play me the ball. <laughs> uh, and, and he you know, didn't need to play anyone the ball. Uh, what a fantastic finish. I love Atletico. I love watching them play. I think Griezmann is just a joy to watch. Um, I, I love the just the, the attitude of the entire franchise, the fans, uh, the players, obviously just, just – Don't call them franchise. You're going to offend people. <laughs> yeah, the, the club, the club. The club, the club. I don't, want, I don't want my Twitter blowing up, you know. It's too late. But, uh, you know, Simeone as well, like there's just a lot to love about him. I, I – I want them to get it done. I don't know if they do. It's going to be a tough, tough, tough game for them in the second leg. Um, you know, I, I see. I could actually see this going into injury time, being a one nothing game the other way, and, and we see it go down to the death here. So that, that's kind of my prediction. But I'd love to see this story continue again. I, I want to see them take this all the way through. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. I, I picked. I, I actually picked Atletico to win it uh, after the quarterfinals, just because the way they're playing right now, they're so locked in. Uh, in terms of def- uh, their organization, their defensive organization, their ability to break on the counter, Fernando Torres. Hey, what's up with Fernando Torres, man? You see, he 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 he's drinking from like the fountain of youth, and he's recap. This is the old Fernando. This is the this is El Nino. This is the player we remember killing it, uh, however many years ago, and and now he's back on top of his game. You have Saul, you have Coke, uh, but hey, Bayern's Bayern. They're a different team at at the Allianz. My question is, how is Thomas Muller? going to respond after the after the first leg benching uh i was a surprise but i thought it was an injury i'm not sure if it was an injury uh how does he respond does he start in the second leg? i, I gotta believe he starts in the second leg uh but yeah no it's gonna be a great one i i just think Atletico gets it done i think they get it done uh i hope i hope it plays out like you said i hope it goes extra time and everyone hates penalties but Emmanuel Neuer, John Oblock penalty shootout might not be the might not be the the, the, the least interesting thing so I hope Atletico gets it done. Uh, either way, uh, you know, it should be a great game. Uh, next, Man City, Real Madrid. I don't know if Real Madrid has any healthy players left because they already were missing players, and now they had even more injuries, but they did get the 0-0 first leg result. And I got to think, most even with the injuries, you got to think Real Madrid is the favorite to win that series. Who do you see coming out of that group, out of that pairing? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Real Madrid is is the favorite to come out of it um, at home. Obviously, yeah, we got to see who plays, who doesn't. But um, still, I think that uh, you know, I think they have they have more experience in this level. You know, with with some of the players who who are 
prone. I think maybe prone's not the right word. Who have a penchant for stepping up in big moments. We've seen Ronaldo do it already once uh, in the Champions League. Um, I think that if he's if he's able to play, I don't know what his status is. You know what his status is? Um, his mom said he's like eighty percent. So what? What? I don't know. I don't know. If she's like an assistant. That's a trainer. source right there. Yeah, yeah. His mom. Yeah. She didn't tell me that. No, she told the media that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think. Look, I think Real Madrid wins it. Um, but uh, Gareth Bale, man, they need he needs to step up. This is his game. Yeah, this is that, his moment. That's the guy. Yep, that's the guy. They need he's to get it done. I think he'll get it done. Um, and then we'll get a maybe we'll get the Madrid Derby in the final. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. Uh, wrapping up, last thing we'll, we'll rattle off the games. NASL, uh, the NASL. Let's not forget about the NASL. Uh, I'll just uh, rattle off the games this weekend. Some some actually some intriguing matchups. You have the Cosmos taking on Carolina. The the Railhawks are the top team in NASL right now. Uh, I don't know how many people would have picked them to be uh, leading NASL. They're the perfect record right now, but they're heading up to take on the Cosmos. They're coming up to New York. That's going to be a good one to watch. And then you have Fort Lauderdale, Tampa Bay. Uh, the two Florida teams who are off to a bit of a disappointing starts for both of them. They're not, I don't think either of them are where they thought they would be, especially the, uh, the, the strikers there. Uh, I think they have two points so far, uh, which is a little surprising. I thought they, they'd be a better team this year. You also have Ottawa taking on Miami FC, and then you have Rio OKC taking on Indy 11, and that's the NAS, NASL slate for this weekend. And uh, I think that's it. I think we've covered all the topics relating to soccer. One thing I have to ask you, before we before we go, how do you feel? Uh, how did it, how did the passing of the legend Prince affect you? Are you a Prince guy? Are you not a Prince guy? I'm definitely a Prince guy. How, how, are you a Prince guy? How did you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan, but I think it was like for me and for you, it's like a, the sign of like our generations, right? Prince was just before me to really truly appreciate as far as like a you know growing up in the Prince era. Um, but certainly, you know, I was kind of surprised cause there were, I, I was back home and I had to explain to some people about Prince, like not just like who he was, everyone knows who he is, but just kind of his standing musically, um, kind of what he became pop culture wise. Um, it's crazy to me because we've seen, you know how this happens, right? You, you see, you lose David, David Bowie earlier this year and then Prince, I mean, these are icons. I feel like who's, who's next because, um, for music fans, it's, it's kind of been a rough year already. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Prince fan, but I, I think that I definitely fall behind you as far as the <laughs> level of fandom. Because I know – I think when you talked to me about it, like, randomly one night when we were out that – I mean, this is a guy you, that you loved, right? Right. right. I mean, I would – he it what's interesting and and i loved how you in a very political way called me old you call, i love you call me old. it's okay i'm old i get it you're younger. older than me older that's not old <laughs> you're not a kid anymore that's true that's true but i'm i'm old i'll, I'll get it but no but prince yeah it, it just worked out that yeah when i was young i happened to stumble on onto uh, purple rain the album i was like 10 or 11 and it was it was uh it was unbelievable and what's funny to i have to say this so I haven't listened to Prince in, in in a while, right? Before this, before his passing, I hadn't listened to it. But then when he passed, it kind of re, it, it kind of brought it all back up, and it made me want to go listen. And when I listen to the music now, it's like it, I, it's like I never knew it was there. I never knew how many of these songs I know all the words to, and it was crazy. And it just brought back so many memories of my youth, and and it was just I mean the guy is amazing. He's a legend, and uh, and just even finding music that he made that I didn't even like 
know about and now finding it and realizing, hey, I like this too. And so it's crazy. It's crazy. And ho- hopefully it, there, there's a new generation of, of, of Prince fans that have emerged because of this, because now that he passed and it makes them say, ooh, what's this guy about? And then they listen to it. And again, he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I do feel that the great thing about Prince is that his music uh, could could actually uh, be listenable for, for a wide range of people. You know, because I mean, look, mm-hmm. hip hip hop's not everyone's thing. Uh, you know, rock and roll is not everyone's thing. But I feel like he 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 hit a sweet spot where he probably could cater to a lot more a lot more listeners than than most artists. So yeah, no, that was great. So uh, I, I definitely wanted to touch on that. And last thing before we go, are you a Game of Thrones guy? Because I'm a Game of Thrones guy, and I'm glad to have it back. I don't know if you are, but that's uh, everyone wants to talk about Game of Thrones this week. But I don't even know. Are you a Game of Thrones guy? I'm not a Game of Thrones guy. My wife is, and I kind of came in like, like I didn't want to jump in in the middle. So I'm kind of <laughs> waiting for it all to play out and then kind of going to go back like I did with The Wire. Like I missed uh, The Wire, so I went and binge watched it. So my plan is to binge watch at a certain point. Um, so right now, uh, no Game of Thrones for me, but I am watching vinyl, and I am enjoying the heck out of that. And I think I've discovered that vinyl is, like, definitely more of a dude show than a girl <laughs> show. Because yeah. me and my father-in-law, we love it, and my mother-in-law and my wife hate it. So right, right. I don't know. I, I feel like that's got to be a universal thing. Yeah, that's probably how it goes. I didn't. I, I recorded vinyl. I didn't get into it. I didn't even watch it. Um, there's just so many other things. You have Better Call Saul. Uh Actually, now my 12-year-old is watching Breaking Bad, and so now I've started to watch it again, and it's just great to remember how, how, how amazing Breaking Bad was. Um, and anyone who doesn't, if you watch Breaking Bad and you're not watching Better Call Saul, then you're totally missing out. I don't, I don't know why anyone would not watch Better Call Saul if you were into Breaking Bad, but, but still. I mean, for me, those are some of the best shows ever made, Breaking Bad. Well, for me, my top five, I don't know what your top five is, but I don't even know if I have top five, but my, my Mount Rushmore is definitely uh, The Wire. Breaking Bad, uh, The Sopranos, which is feels like it's so long ago now. Uh, but that's my top three. And Game of Thrones is, is kind of in the conversation. The Walking Dead is in the conversation. What's your what's your Mount Rushmore? What, what are your give me a couple of what are your favorite shows? Oh, uh, love the Love the Wire. Probably that's probably my number one. Again, Sopranos, so we've got a couple there. Nice. I never got into I, I never watched Breaking Bad. It's like I, I've had so many people tell me, okay, so I, I watched like the first few episodes. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and everyone's like, everyone's like, no, like no, it's, it starts gotta... really slow. Yeah. And then once you get past those first few episodes, it gets great. So I've got to go back in and dive into that again. I really, to be honest, I was a big Friday Night Lights fan. Talking about American football on that side. I really loved that. And Mad Men. Those were two of my shows. I don't know. And Lost, actually. I was oh. a big Lost fan. I don't want to forget about that. I, so I, I think I throw Lost in there with, with The Wire and The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, see, all right. I, I would agree with I would have agreed with it because I used to love Lost, too. But I feel like the lo- the problem with Lost was it ended. It didn't end strong. It, it ended with a, I feel like I feel like it ended with a whimper. And that cost it its place in the Pantheon. I feel like before that last season, it was it was definitely an all time. And then after that, it just that last season was just. A train wreck for me. Not for me. I don't know if you Yeah. Know. Well, I also think, like, the difference, too, between those shows is, like, I also appreciated The Wire and Sopranos, like, artistically. Like, the way the stories came together, the character development, like, every bit of it. And I feel like The Lost was, like, a lot more of the entertainment value as well. Um, certainly there were some some characters and stories you, you were into, and obviously the main overarching theme of Lost was so intriguing. It's why everyone watched it to the very end. But there was just... 
another level of the, the depth of, of the wire and the Sopranos. I don't think I've found a show that matches it. And maybe that's why I liked Mad Men as, you know, because it was all character development and I was in that part of it. I think it just lacked kind of the, the, the story line that, you know, I, I was a big Draper fan just in his character because he carried that show. But, but the wire and, and Sopranos kind of hold a special place for me. When I, when I discovered the wire, man, it was like, I stopped doing anything for like five days and just watched it all. And, and I don't know that another show has made me feel that way. The, the reason, and, and I'll end on this, that the, the thing about The Wire and, and, and my wire, my love for The Wire is well known, is well documented. Um, but for me, what like puts it over the top and what's still interesting to me is that as much as I love all these other shows, none of them have made me, have compelled me to want to watch them over. I have watched the full Wire, the full all, epi- all seasons of The Wire probably seven times and it, it just it doesn't like it doesn't get old you know you like you, you you can give it another six months watch it again it's like a good book that you get just read over and over it's just i mean break i have like i this is the first time i've gone back to watch breaking bad i i, I never went back to watch sopranos as much as i loved it as much as it's the jersey the jersey show as, as much as i can drive by about a bing every you know because about a bing is like not, not that far from here well you know what it was based on anyway uh, but yeah, no, The Wire for me, I, I probably will watch it again pretty soon now. Probably uh, throw it on and, and start getting into it again. So basically the message there is if you haven't watched The Wire yet, go and watch The Wire and you'll you'll thank us. So we'll wrap it up with that. That's it for, for us for this show. We finally got Paul. Hopefully now our schedules will, will, will work out. We'll get it rolling again. We'll be back next week to, to, to catch up on week nine. But that's all for now. For, for Paul Tenorio, I'm Ivis Galarza. This is the SBI Show.